right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Fantasy Baseball Buds Podcast. I'm Richie, joined today by Matt. Today is Sunday, March 14, 2021. We got a great episode for you guys today. We'll be going over some spring training highlights as well as people who have been underperforming. We'll go over kind of position scarcity for each position and uh, how we feel or approach each position. And then uh, we'll talk about... uh, that one person in everybody's league who um, just thinks they're better than anybody else. Or um, just kind of, Before we go into all these topics, we'll start with our icebreaker questions. So the icebreaker today is, out of all the cars that you've owned in your lifetime, which one is the most memorable to you and why? This is a good question. And for your, the viewers that don't know us or listeners that don't know us, Richie and I are probably the king and queen of old rinkety cars richie now has a much nicer car and has something that's reliable i have yet to change my ways so mine's easy it's my current car it's a car i think i've had now for three years maybe four i bought it in california when i moved out there it is a fantastic 2001 buick lesabre it has been driven to i think vegas three or four different times back and forth it survived living in la on the street for a while the car not myself (laughs) <laughs> and uh, it's been good to me. I mean, this is this car is not something you see on the road every day, especially in California and Vegas, uh, very like materialistic areas. So my car is probably at most times the oldest car on the street. But man, she is humming like a good old bird. I love it. <clears throat> what about you, Richie? What's your car? Yeah, as you were saying, I've probably since I got my driver's license, went through a car every single year, whether it's just breaking down because of high mileage or just stupid little accidents or what have you. But um, the one that sticks out to me is my 1998 Nissan Pathfinder. I bought it off an old friend of ours. His mom was trying to get rid of it. She sold it to me because uh, we were family friends. Um, and it was one of those stages where... I uh, installed aftermarket radio. The subs, I forgot. Yep, had subwoofers in it. Had it for about six months. Was the most reliable car. Um, I think it was my first V6. So it had some giddy up for for me. But it actually got recalled due to malfunctioning struts, I believe, or shocks. And so when I went to to take it in... um, the dealer determined that it would cost too much to repair them, so they instead they totaled it and cashed me a check, and I was I was devastated. And I think uh, to this day, I feel I didn't get to ride out the lifetime of that car. It brings back so many memories. I remember us at the time I worked at Best Buy, and we just abused that discount like it was you know going out of style. Oh yeah. But we got you a sweet deal on your package for like subs and the amp and all that stuff. And then yeah, it was like three months later you had to get rid of the car. <laughs> it was a good summer though. It was a good summer though. But uh, let's get started. So um, let's talk about. We I think there's a there's a ton of players that we could talk about. But Matt, why don't you start with one? player who is hot right now and one player that's disappointing in your mind. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to start off with a little bit of uh, controversy. Brewers obviously signing Jackie Bradley this past week, officially making him, I think, going to be their left fielder. And Abisail Garcia is my first kind of like spring breakout. Small sample size for a lot of these players that Richie and I are going to mention. But Abisail right now is through 20 at-bats. He's got two home runs. He's hitting 450. So, you know, really performing well supposedly he slimmed down as well he's going to make this brewers outfield very tricky to navigate throughout maybe the first couple months of the season until we see some consistency but if Abe sale can finally come out and play like the player we saw in chicago a few years ago i'm really excited to see what can happen i think obviously if you give him 120 games can hit 20 home runs and hit over 300 it's just does he perform enough to stay on the field And as far as a disappointing player, I'm actually going to pass it back to you, Richie. I have five standouts, so maybe you can help me out with that. Maybe you'll have some guys that are underperforming. What do you got for me? I'm going to go with James Karinchek, a guy who's been flying up draft boards as recent. Uh, There's word that he's pretty much a lock for the Indians' closer role since they got rid of Brad Hand. Um, I think we've talked about him in the past, how he's got amazing strikeout potential, but he also struggles with command so he's had four appearances in spring training the first two are a little shaky he had two strikeouts with two walks um the first one he didn't allow 
or he allowed uh, one earned unearned run, I should say. The second one, he uh, allowed one earned run. His third one, he had no walks, three strikeouts, no hits, no runs. Looked like uh, he was starting to turn the corner and looked like he was going to solidify it. But then two days ago, um, he only went a third of an inning, gave up three hits, three earned runs, no strikeouts, but no walks. So very inconsistent, and it's starting to sh- seem like he's going to be that player's up and down. And um, if that's the case, I'm worried about him solidifying his role as a closer long term. What is his price point in our draft, Richie? You know, a couple teams are looking at closers. He's one of the biggest names out there of maybe potential. What are you willing to pay for James now with his most recent troubles? Yeah, I, we talked about this offline. Is I'm actually have one vacancy for a reliever, and he was the guy who's right now sitting out there uh, who's going to be in our draft. And I was telling Matt I was willing to maybe go $10, $15 on him. But now I'm, I don't think I can even touch him. Yeah. Um, I mean, we still got two weeks until the draft, so maybe he turns the corner and shows that he's more consistent. Um, It also depends on some of these other teams, like um, Reed, who's currently over the salary draft or salary cap, and he might cut Edwin Diaz. Um, Mm -hmm. I know Nick Lloyd in our league, he's above the salary cap, and he's got three closers and Brad Hand and I can't think of the other ones, but it it all depends on um, who's available. Um, I I think, in my opinion, he'll probably go for ten to fifteen still, um, just because not everybody pays attention to spring training or they just kind of just read whatever articles are out there. Well, we have to be um, mindful too that you know spring training is small sample size. Um, pitchers are often working, we're oftentimes working on things, and right, that's true. We can look at even Otani's most recent uh, performance. Couple of, I think it was either actually yesterday or maybe the day before. I think you were going to talk on him on a minute, but he had a rough start, and you know it, it's up to, it's ups and downs in spring training. James Karinchek could easily have three appearances where he strikes out two or three batters per the frame he pitches, and now we're talking about him at like a twenty dollar price point, but he is trending down right now. Yeah, so I don't want to talk too much about him, but. Since you mentioned him, let's move on to Otani, who is one of my standouts slash disappointers. Um, in his first outing as a pitcher, he went one and two-thirds, had five strikeouts, only two walks, and one earned run. His fastball was touching triple digits. His curveball was working for him. And then we moved to his start yesterday, where he only went two and a third, was supposed to go three innings. He had four strikeouts, which is good, one walk, which is good, but he gave up five earned runs and gave up a massive homer to Luis Robert, Robert, however you pronounce it. So it's a little shaky, um, but who knows, maybe he was working on things. Um, It'll be interesting to see. And then on the batting side, um, pulling it up here, he's batting 538 right now, 7 for 13. Um, one home run, three RBIs, a walk, and one strikeout, which is good. Um, but it goes back to that as a as a hitter, he's probably only going to hit um, three days out of the week, unless you play in a daily format. You're pretty much hoping um, that he pitches for you, um, depending on what league you're in. But what do you what do you think about Otani? You know, he's going to be a player that we watched this whole season after the trade you made, and you know, again for the listeners concept Richie's going to pay $30 to keep Otani I think that's a good price for a player that could be boom or bust uh, I think even if Otani busts he's a guy that throughout the year you're going to play out through matchups from the pitching perspective you know Otani's got as much arm talent as maybe anybody in the game possibly the best splitter in baseball next to maybe you Darvish but we want to see where he really performs throughout the first couple months of the season before I attach any uh, a value to Otani he's I'm concerned with the injuries, I think he may get hurt again this year. But with Otani's spring, he's just showcasing that absolute potential. And I love to see it. And again, back to James Karinchek, much like Otani, they're going to have some hiccups. It's spring. I saw a stat line, a box the other day, where Woodruff pitched two innings against the Cubs. He gave up five hits. I don't think he allowed a run. But I was blown away that you can pitch two innings, you know, potentially face, at, max, at minimum, six batters. But you're going to have five hits? And to be able to get out of the inning is incredible without any runs, but those are just the small things about spring that I look at and I say, okay, don't take too much from that sample size. Uh, Moving on, I've got two more um, 
kind of like breakout slash guys to watch. Uh, both of these are prospects. We've got uh, Elliot Ramos for the Giants. Kind of made some news on social media over the last couple of weeks. He's been hitting monstrous home runs. Not expected to make the team with uh, the Giants this season. Possibly come up in September. Uh, he is 21. Very good profile. Good prospect. Uh, 6'1", about a buck 90. So he's you know got a little bit of um, agility to him too. He's in 429 with uh, three home runs again. Got to keep an eye on. And then the next one is going to be for the Rays, Shane Bias. And he is, if you remember correctly, coming over from the Pirates. He was the Pirates' first overall pick, 12th, excuse me, 12th overall in the 2017 draft. Big-time arm talent, 21-year-old. Um, he only has a couple appearances, two innings this spring. But what is encouraging to me is the absolute velocity coming out of his arms and his RPMs on his fastball. He's at 97.5 all the way up to 99.8 with about a 2,500 RPM on that fastball. That's elite arm talent. This guy could be the best pitching prospect coming out of that uh, minor leagues since maybe Snell. You know, you've seen a lot of issues with Brent Honeywell and some other pitchers just haven't developed. I think Baez will. It'll be interesting to watch them over the final couple of weeks of spring training and kind of see what they do in the minor leagues this year. Uh, what else you got for us, Richie? Who else is catching your yeah, eye? Before we uh, move on, though, one thing I, I do like Helio Ramos. I think he might come up this year, possibly in the middle of summer or near the end. And then Shane Baz or Baez, however you pronounce it. Um, my only concern is them using him as a reliever, like they did yeah, Shane McClennett Helen um, last year when they brought him up uh, for the postseason run. Guy who just can hit triple digits easily, but um, it's just a matter of if they bring him out to have that. Um, starters workload but uh, I'll go into two standouts for me um, the first one is going to be Joey Gallo who's the home run leader right now with five um, and only 18 at bats he's just literally on fire batting 333 which is good for him for a person who's only batting usually 240 to 250 um, but it's kind of backed up right now because he's got four walks and six strikeouts which is good for him um and then if you look i mean it's a small sample size but his BABIP is only 143 when it usually sitting around 300 part of that has to do with a uh, majority of his hits that he does have go out of the park so that has a factor to it um but if he keeps doing this i wouldn't be surprised if he draw uh jumps into the the 50 75 range in um redraft leagues for sure and then the other one I want to talk about is somebody who I've had an eye on and I was a little concerned with his high BABIP numbers, and that's Willie Castro, shortstop for the Detroit Tigers. Um, he's also doing pretty well. I'm pulling up his stats here um, for spring training. Give me a second. He is batting 348 with three home runs, um, nine RBIs, eight for 23, um, two doubles, um, the only thing concerning is he has more strikeouts than walks with five strikeouts to one walk. Um, and his BABIP is um, pretty in line right now. It's at 333, which is better than it was. I think it was sitting around 500 at, in 2020. Um, what are your thoughts on these guys, Matt? Castro is interesting, right? He had a good season last year, had some power out of that uh, shortstop position, but I want to see more out of him. I want to see him in a bigger sample. Uh, I think he's going to get the chance, and you can correct me if I'm wrong this year, to start at short for the for the Tigers. But they should have a really good one in him. You, know, you pair him with Torkelson, and you pair him with that pitching staff, and Riley Green eventually once he gets there. You might have a core to build around. Uh, I think you're looking at him more in a dynasty perspective, though. Maybe a guy you stash on your, on your bench at the end of the draft and just kind of watch and monitor. And as far as Gallo, you know, i got to see it over the course of a season. Joey Gallo's a, a Vegas guy as well. Uh, I really want Gallo to go out and have an all-star slash MVP caliber season campaign but i just i need to see more productivity i need to see more consistency maybe if they outlaw or ban the shift that will happen but to your point of that babbit man they have him defensively played perfectly and i don't see that changing because of how pull happy he is all right um i'm gonna go ahead and steal um some bus or disappointing people um the first is gonna be zach plesak He's had three. <laughs> I know he's your favorite person. Um, 
you know, he wasn't even drafted last year, and then he had a fantastic 2020, and now I think he's sitting around top 100 overall for most drafts, depending on what site you're using and format. Um, but I'll go through his game log quickly. He's had three outings. The first one was two innings pitched, three earned runs with a homer given, and two strikeouts. No walks, though. And then his second outing was against the Seattle Mariners. This one was better. He went three innings. Uh, only two hits, no earned runs, two walks, and four strikeouts. And then his last outing, which was yesterday, uh, was two and a third, six hits allowed, four earned runs, one homer, four strikeouts, and two walks. Who did he so pitch against yesterday? Oh, uh, San Francisco Giants. Okay. So not 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 the greatest lineup. Um, but like we just mentioned, Healy at Ramos is on fire. I don't know what he did in that game. Um but we're looking at his spring, uh, spring training stats. Um, seven and one-third innings pitch with seven earned runs, ten strikeouts, four walks with two homers. Now, it's a small sample size, um, but it's enough to scare me away considering I was already a little hesitant on Zach Plesak to begin with. Um, it's an 8.59 ERA. What, what are you thinking, Matt? What do you see here? What scares me away about Plesak is... Much like the Zach Gallen effect, a couple of years ago, Zach Gallen came out of nowhere in AAA, and we remember this. And Zach Gallen is similar to Plesak in that they don't throw really over the 93% or excuse me, 93-mile-an-hour threshold. But Gallen's a control guy with an incredible changeup. None of Zach Plesak's pitches are extremely standout pitches. He, it just seems as though he knows how to pitch. Maybe he has a little deception in his delivery. And to have the ERA, I think he was sitting at like a 207 or a 208 last year to finish the season, it's completely unacceptable for that kind of arm talent. And that's why I do not like him. Now, if he can do this for three years and prove to me that there is just something quirky about him, good, great job. You know, you, the Indians have churned out yet another nobody into a good starting pitcher. But I would like to see this season Zach Plesak hit a 4.5 slash 5 ERA and get absolutely shelled and demoted because I don't see the arm talent. And I feel like the industry has given him far too much credit without the ability. Now, again, I could be wrong, but when you give up that many runs to the Giants, okay, so there's something there. And when you pitch that way against the Mariners, well, shit, me and you could probably pitch that way against the Mariners, Richie. So that's where I stand on Plesak. No, I, th- I think he's a bust, and I agree with you. However, I don't think uh, he'll be as bad as have a five ERA and get demoted and shouldn't be drafted. Wishful I, thinking. I, <laughs> wishful <laughs> thinking. But I, I do think, in my opinion, he should be going in that two hundred to two fifty range, and the hype for him is getting a little, a little out of control. But I don't want to talk about him too much. Let's move on to my next um, disappointing performer, Casey Myers. Um, is my next disappointing player. His first outing against Pittsburgh Pirates was pretty good. He went two innings, no hits, no in runs, gave up three walks, though, with three strikeouts. His second outing against the Toronto Blue Jays also went two innings, three walks, and one strikeout. So we're seeing a concern here with the walks, but he's not giving up hits. And then his last outing that he did yesterday got absolutely shelled. Two and a third innings, four hits, Six earned runs with two home runs, three walks, three strikeouts. So for the total, we're looking at six and a third innings with six earned runs, two homers, nine walks, and seven strikeouts for eight five three ERA. Um, Casey Myers, who is a, a top tier prospect going into last year, got brought up, um, got absolutely shelled. I just think this is a, a thing of him kind of getting in his own head and possibly not getting enough time in the minors and they just brought him up a little too soon and the pressure might be getting to him but what do you what do you think Matt? Myers is interesting and I, I think you saw this with Max Scherzer you saw it with Verlander a lot of the top tier pitching prospects arm talent they go through this little stage of, stage of regression once they hit the major leagues they're pitching against elite talent I mean look at the home runs yesterday Harper hit him on an 0-2 fastball right and Myers came out after the game and even said I had him set up perfectly he just hit my pitch better than I pitched it and then you go he went ahead and gave up a grand slam to Didi Gregorius think about if you take those two home runs away right that's five runs off the board that's one run over three innings much better performance he can limit these home runs you're talking about a completely different pitcher Garrett Cole and the home runs he's giving up in Yankee Stadium and just for that Yankee team in general, the difference is he's given up solo shots. 
So it's either, from Maya's perspective, limit the home runs or just learn to limit the walks and the, the, the hits, right? Because then your home runs aren't going to be as damaging. He's a young guy. He's going to learn these things. This is where the Pirates, or excuse me, the Tigers are at. They're going to take time to develop this kid. And I do think he turns into Max Scherzer. You know, it's probably a poor comp because they're a different pitcher, but um, he was drafted number one overall for a reason. And I think sit on him at least another year. We've talked many times. Age 26 is kind of our magic number, and he's a little bit of ways away from that. I think 25, 26, I think he pops. All right, and then the last person I want to talk about is Tyler O'Neill, outfielder for the St. Louis Cardinals. So far this spring, he has two home runs with eight RBIs. He's batting 476, which is 10 for 21. The concerning thing here is that he has one walk to five strikeouts, except his BABIP is through the roof at 571. I think this is a product of good luck, and I am still concerned that he's going to have a low batting average in the 220-230 range like he did last year, and he's going to have an issue with strikeouts, and um, we'll see how this progresses. What do you see here, Matt? love Tyler O'Neill's profile before he came up a few years ago. I love the fact that his dad, I think, was Mr. Minnesota bodybuilding or like Mr. Minnesota Olympia, something like that. It was a really cool story on O'Neill. He's just much like a lot of these power hitters, just can't get make enough contact. And um, also hasn't been really given the full opportunity in St. Louis. I think another guy to keep an eye on, he's probably a guy in most leagues that'll be on the waiver wire. You know, if you can catch him for a hot streak and he's starting five or six games out of the week, grab him, play him if you've got an injury. But other than that, I just I can't buy into Tyler O'Neill yet. I'm going to go ahead and hit you with my last two guys. Mine are going to be standouts again. Gary Sanchez being the first, looking for a bounce-back year in 2021. Now, Gary's not lighting up spring training, but he, the power is back. He's got three home runs. He's hitting 278. Something to keep an eye on. Gary Sanchez should be the number one catcher in fantasy baseball if he can get back to his 2018 performance. We just have to see it again. I think you're going to get a value out of Gary Sanchez in most drafts if he's available. You know, he's going to fall probably after Rio Muto, possibly Grandal, with the upside of being that number one catcher. My final standout is the fantastic Kenta Maeda. He has nine innings currently in spring training, a zero ERA, and his whip is an astounding .22. I think you look for Maeda to come back and have another strong season, provide you know five, six innings, some quality starts. Can he stay healthy? Does he have the ability to pitch over that 150 threshold? We're going to see a lot of guys get capped at this year. But he looks geared in and ready to go, and I want to see Maeda have, maybe like we saw Rue a few years ago, have that final standout year since coming over to the United States. Nice. I think that'll wrap up our spring training um, standouts and disappointing players. So let's move on to positional scarcity um, and how, how we approach it in each league. Um, so I think the best way to go about it is just to go right down the line and just talk about if there's a positional scarcity. So like we'll go through catcher all the way to outfielder and then go starting pitcher and relief pitcher. And um, is it deep at the position? Is it scarce? Or what, what your overall approach is? So we'll start with catcher here. And I'll let you um, kind of explain how you approach um catchers and then I'll go after you. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and start off with the catcher position when it comes to position scarcity. We're using CBS's rankings to kind of gauge the scarcity per position. I'm feeling pretty comfortable up until about the nine range. You've got Nola and Murphy, Vazquez, kind of McCann. These are the guys we're looking at at about 9-10. Cut off looking like Mitch Garver, Travis Darnold, as well as Will Smith. I'm very comfortable with all of those guys. We're obviously not playing in two catcher leagues, so I don't need to have to worry about grabbing two premier players. But if you can grab Will Smith or Mitch Garver or Travis Darno, that's kind of what I'm looking for in the draft. Catcher is actually a position that I have a need for. And thank you, thankfully to Russ in our league, who just dropped Travis Darno for a Will Smith trade, I'm going to be attacking Darno. I think he has a top five position value this year. I think he has a lot of playing time. The Braves did lose their backup catcher in Flowers, so the opportunity for Darno to play 120 games is there. 
But I think position this year is strong. Again, top-heavy, though. Real Muto and Sanchez, for me, are my first tier, and it's very prominent. Richie, what do you see out of the catcher position? What are you feeling like? Yeah, so the way I approach it is I want to get one of the top four guys being Real Muto, Salvador Perez, Wilson Contreras, or Gary Sanchez. I think if you have one of those four guys, you have a clear advantage over everybody else. If I can't get one of those guys... I'm waiting. They're all the same to me in my book. Darno, Grandal, Will Smith, Mitch Garver, Nola, McCann, Vasquez. Um, they all have similar upside as well as similar downside. Um, the one I would be targeting in this is Will Smith just because of the age and um, what he's shown. He's got a lot of upside. Um, otherwise, I'd probably go with Mitch Garver. Um, he's got a really high ceiling. Otherwise, He's also got a really low floor, as we've seen. In our league, I do have Christian Vasquez. He's just that safe guy. He's going to bat anywhere from 250 to 270, but he plays majority of games. Um, I think he's one of the one catchers that can give you 130 to 140 games um, and get he walks a lot. So he's not going to be great, but he's not going to be bad. He's just going to be solid. Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much my overall take on it. Um so let's move on to first base. Yeah, first base we're looking we're looking pretty solid this year here, and I'm, I'm going to keep this pretty short, uh, all the way down until about ten. You've got some consistency. Ten on looks like Chris Towers' list is going to be Matt Olson. This has always been a position where you can plug and play guys. For example, last year Luke Voigt was my plug and play guy. You know, I had Cody Bellinger who I chose to play in the outfield. Luke Voigt was a guy that I knew had high upside with power potential, plays in a great lineup. Every year, I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, Richie, there's always one of these guys. Comes out of nowhere, right? And that, this year, maybe Keston Hira at first base for the Brewers. If he can finally hit over 270, it's going to hit you 35 bombs. But I look for high upside. I don't like to spend a lot of money. Freddie Freeman for years with my was my guy. Auction value looking at about $40, that's a lot of money. I would rather spend that on a starting pitcher in head-to-head points. What do you think of the first base position? Yeah, my overall approach is um, kind of avoiding that top tier, Freddie Freeman, Bellinger, LeMahieu, Abreu. I think you can do just fine with those with those middle people like Voight, Alonzo, Olsen, Rizzo, Goldschmidt. I think any of those are fine, and they can get the job done for what you're, whether it's Roto, head-to-head categories, or points. I think they're all good. I think my cutoff here is probably Goldschmidt, um, Max Muncy, Dominic Smith, um, Reese Hoskins. Those are guys who do have high ceilings, but their floors are a little bit lower, um, so you're not as safe with those guys. Um, as far as a, a bounce back or a player I'm very intrigued on is Josh Bell moving from Pittsburgh to um, the Nationals. So it will be interesting to see how he breaks out. Um, and then Ryan Mountcastle, Andrew Vaughn, the list goes on and on. It's incredible, um, isn't it? I'm looking at yeah. I'm looking at Scott White's right now, and even up to 21, Jared Walsh, who you who are you are rostering? I'm comfortable. You know what I mean? Like I'm not happy, but I'm I'm kind of happy. Like for a couple bucks, I'm cool with those guys being my first baseman. This is a very deep position. Yeah, and then Nate Lowe, who we've talked about in the past, he could be the guy who just breaks out, comes out of nowhere. You got Joey Votto, who's got COVID right now, but CJ I mean, Crone at thirty-two on Scott White's list, right, fighting for that position in Colorado. Well, well, yeah, if it depends, it sounds like Josh Fuentes is going to win that. Um, but yeah, that's a position I'd wait on. Um, but let's move on to second base, which is arguably the most scarce as terms as this year goes. So, what is your approach to second base? Second base, I'm I'm currently rostering Gavin Luck, so I'm probably going to have to do some roster manipulation after the draft, and I'll probably have to go out and grab a guy that's sitting from the 13 to 20 range. Uh, I might have to roster a guy like Nick Solak for the first few weeks. You know, Roberts did come out and say that Gavin Luck should be expected to have ample playing time this year, and he's not concerned with Luck's ability facing lefties. That's nice to say. Now let me see it implemented, because they have not shown that Gavin Luck's has the confidence from the team to bat against lefties or play full-time. So if some of you are also in the same position in a dynasty league with the Gavin Lux issue, kind of sit around 15 to 20, the Chris Taylor, there's Ty France out there who will be playing full-time in Seattle, presumptively. 
Nick Solak, some of these guys that might come out of the gate hot who have flamed out in the last couple of years in their overall potential. But I I think second base, you've, you've got to take a swing and miss if it's a position, a redraft league. I really do strongly believe DJ LeMahieu is a guy that I would want to target first three rounds if it's a redraft league. What do you think, Richie? I completely agree. Um, in the first three rounds, depending on where I'm sitting, if it's Snake, um, LeMahieu is somebody I would be targeting. If I don't get him, I'm going to wait. I'm going to pass on Ozzy Albies. I think the power goes with the dead ball with Merrifield, unless you're playing in uh, road or head-to-head categories. Um, he's pretty much useless. Cattell Marte, um, he's got high potential, but he also has a low floor. And then I would be targeting this range here of Altuve, Brandon Lowe, Max Muncy, Kesson Hira. That's kind of the range where I feel comfortable if I can't get LeMayhew. But as far as our league goes, I'm kind of in the same position you are. I currently have Tommy Edmond um, at $6 in our league, but he doesn't have second base eligibility yet, so I also need to find a second baseman. There's going to be players like Mike Moustakis out there who I have no idea if he's going to go for a lot of money or not could go for him. I do have David Fletcher, but he's more of a uh, roto guy. He's not going to hit any home runs. So I'm not necessarily sure if I'm even going to roster or keep him. So we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. I might, you know, stick with a guy like Colton Wong or like you said, Nick Solak to, to figure it out. Who knows? But let's move on to third base. Real quick, I wanted to just hit on your Whitmerry field. I, I agree with you. My opinion with Whit this year, though, is if you're going to take Whit, you might as well wait and go ahead and grab Nick Madrigal in the around 12 to 18. I know that's kind of a wide variety, but Madrigal had proven in minor leagues in 2019 he can steal bases. He was 35 successful stolen bases with 13 um, caught stealings. I think you're going to see Madrigal hit 320 this year. I think you're going to see him steal 30 to 40 bags. There's a huge difference in drafting Maryfield in the fifth round and drafting Madrigal in, the, say, the 13th. Any yeah, comments on that, thing- Richie? The only thing with Madrigal is he will have a higher batting average, but he'll have like one or two home runs. Yes, I agree. If that. Lose the power. No, 100%. And that's that's why you're paying, I guess, right, a seven-round difference is because Maryfield could hit you 20. And Madrigal might not hit one. (laughs) He might not. Hey, who knows? Maybe he just eats chicken and rice and does a bunch of push-ups in his hotel room like Randy Rosarena. And now he just gets all this power out of nowhere. All right, let's move on to third base. What's your overall strategy um, you know, we're in a we're in a head-to-head points league. That's not really dynasty. It's a keeper league. I think we keep three guys. Very different keeper setup than our dynasty league. I have said to you, I want Jose Ramirez. I think in a points league that does account for strikeouts, you're looking at one of the best players in the league. Jose Ramirez, high contact, high OBP, hits home runs, drives in runs, scores runs, even steals some bags. Jose Ramirez for me is a points league winner. Now. In our dynasty league, we do not account for strikeouts, negatively penalizing a player. Changes the perspective predominantly for some of these guys. It makes Machado and Bregman much more competitive to Ramirez. But traditional leagues, I think Jose Ramirez, first round for me, if I miss out on some of the pitchers, I'm taking Ramirez. If he's there for me in the turn, second round, going for him. In an auction draft, I would probably be willing to spend 50 bucks. in all honesty. Um, I think if he's your number one guy in a points head-to-head league, you're looking at a pretty good season. What do you think, Richie? What's what's after Ramirez for you? Yeah, I I like where your head's at with Ramirez. I just feel that this position is pretty deep, and it is. you can get one deep. of those top tier. You can get one of those top tier starting pitchers, or uh, one of those other guys um, that can fill other needs for you. I do like uh, the Manny Machado, Rendon, Bregman range at uh, the three-four turn, depending on where you're playing. But if you miss out on those, you can wait, possibly get Rendon or get Arenado or Devers. Um, but after that, if I don't get any of those guys, I need to get Suarez because Correct. after that, I don't like what's left. I don't like having Muncy, Biggio, Moncada, Chapman. These guys have some potential but their floors are just way too low and at a position like that you you need a stability in my opinion um every year that we've played i feel like i've always had a stable first and third base like just set it forget it and you don't worry about those guys they're your staples um 
Brian or Hayes you, and Baum, though, are looking pretty nice. Yeah. What do you think? Because you're talking about having a good floor. I think those guys have good floors. What is your opinion? See, I, I disagree. I see they have they have the ceiling to get to that that top seven with the rest of those guys. But I also feel they haven't proven themselves enough. And um, these pitchers could get film on them over the 2020 season, find some flaws in their swing, um, and expose them. We've okay. seen it in the past. And I don't think with Baum and Hayes we've seen pitchers adjust to them yet. And then they get through their little – um, slump and then they have to readjust to the pitching and then that's just who they become I feel like we haven't seen that phase with Hayes and Baum yet and I'm kind of skeptical to see how that works out in the first two months of the season yeah well they no, might they, might, they sure. might come they might come out hot to Brian Hayes has a pretty good batting average in spring training I don't have the numbers in front of me um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they come hot out the gate there's some film on them and they're the league adjusts and they go through a slump in May or June and maybe that's a, a time where you can target those guys. You won't yeah. get Cabrian Hayes off me, but you might be able to get bomb. So it'll be an up and down season for sure. Um, let's move on to shortstop. What is your overall strategy with shortstop, Matt? Very, 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 very deep position. Um, if you're in a redraft league, wait, sit and wait. Uh, I think you can wait all the way until you hit probably Swanson in a points league, right? If you're in Roto or categories, you can even wait until you hit Semyon. I, I like Semyon here at like kind of that 15 turn. Mondesi, at, uh, again, Scott White's rankings on 13. If you're going to go ahead and go for stolen bases, just grab him. Get him out of the way. I think you could also see him with a higher average this year. He is developing. He is maturing. And that lineup in Kansas City is very interesting to watch this year. They have power, but they have a lot of guys with OBP potential and a lot of guys with contact. Ben Attendee, guys that you're going to see. I think that team could surprise. I like Mondesi. But personally, in the Dynasty League, I'm rostering Torres and Anderson right now. Kind of contemplating letting Torres walk back into the draft. He would be a $21 player for me, as Tim Anderson would be a $6 player. Anderson obviously isn't going to hit as many home runs as Torres, but Torres is going to strike out more and have a lower average. I think this position is very deep. I think in, unless you're looking at drafting Tatis in the first round after those elite pitchers have gone in a head-to-head points league, you know, you're going to sit and wait. Trey Turner, too, if he's there in round, say, four, which I highly doubt, another guy to grab. Um, but, yeah, I, I like the depth. What about you, Richie? It depends on which type of league I'm playing. If I'm in roto or categories, Trey Turner has always been – my game plan get steals done out of the way you can grab uh, other guys who can get you five to 15 but getting trey turner it's almost locked for 30 to 40 steals every year um depending on this year i think i would pass on tatis i think he's just going a little too high um and head-to-head points that's when you can get a pitcher or um, somebody who's going to be solid for more home runs consistently like mike trout moki bats um, I agree with you, though. I'd pass on Trevor Story, Lindor, and Turner in a points league. Um, depending on where Seager goes, that'd be a, a player I'm, I'd be targeting. But I'd pass on Bogarts and Bichette. Their price tag is just too high. So I'd, I'd be sitting, waiting for that Anderson, Torres, Correa, Swanson, Baez range right there. That's the sweet spot, kind of near um, the end of that 8-10 to 10 range. Um I think that's a good spot, but if you miss out, I mean, in uh, categories of Roto League, you can always get Mondesi. Otherwise, you can get um, Diddy Gregorius. After that, um, it's kind of a cliff for me. It's That's where it falls off. I feel like you have to get Gregorius. Um, that's like the last starting caliber shortstop, in my opinion. Well, yeah, you could grab Diddy, roster him, right? Start him for the month, and then if you're Wait, sneaky... And- you grab go Wander. Wander go, yeah, go yep. grab Wander. Like in and Wander is going to give you top ten upside, right, Richie? I think even as a rookie, he hits you three hundred, probably steals ten bags, probably hits eight to ten home runs. What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, and depending on absolutely, and if you you miss out on that, go ahead and grab Willie Castro, somebody yes. we've talked about. Mm-hmm. He's hot right now. Might as well take the flyer on him last round. Or Jimenez from Cleveland. We're hearing really good things yeah. out of their camp. I, he's a he's a big risk, and I'm talking deep leagues, but. If all those guys are gone, maybe worth it. Yeah. The other thing with 
Jimenez is he doesn't come with any power. So that's mm-hmm. well as of now, you know, we need to see more of him. I I think he could develop. You know, they've been saying some pretty nice things, but we're talking deep leagues. I think Franco for most leagues is probably that play. All right, let's move on to outfield. Um, so before we get started, I do want you to talk about how you would approach a three outfield league versus a five outfield league for our listeners who play in those um, category roto leagues. Yeah, absolutely. I I really have one like specific strategy that I use in my head-to-head categories league. One big name, right? I have Soto on a franchise lock-in price of zero dollars, which is unique to our league. But even if I had to pay thirty to fifty dollars for an outfielder, I'm going to have one big one, and that's in a three outfielder league. I'm going to grab two mid-tier guys that I can trust and rely on, and my bench player is going to be that up-and-coming rookie normally. So last year, my guys on the bench were Luis Robert and Joe Adele. I was able to slide Robert into my starting lineup right away, provided me those stolen bases, some of that power, that average. As opposed to Adele, I had to ship away because he just didn't live up to my expectation. But I believe in grabbing a Soto, a Trout, a Betts, an Acuna, a Yelich, or a Harper in that first round in a categories league is an absolute must. If you can get Trout or Acuna right away to get some of those steals, that's nice. But Soto, Yelich, they're going to give you those counting stats as well. So I, I really think get a, get a guy in the first round right away. But after, I'd say Yelich, I'm not touching a guy for a while. I really do like Harper, but in categories, I need to have at least a few stolen bases from that outfielder. What about you, Richie? Yeah, so as for this year goes, um, in the first round, I'll probably be going for one of those bigger name starting pitchers just because I know they're going to be more reliable and they're more than likely going to be the types of guys to go 175 to 200 innings. I know that's not the position we're talking about, but I might be passing on these these top outfielders that you're talking about and maybe target them in the second or third round and maybe get like a Harper, Ozuna, Judge uh, type. But I, I kind of agree in a three outfielder league, I like to have that one big name, that, that top 15 outfielder, and then a middle tier guy. So like in our league, I have Acuna and Castellanos. So Acuna is my, my top 10 guy, and then Castellanos is my top 25 guy. And then I like using that, leaving that third outfield spot as like um, a, fl- a flexibility spot. And just kind of mixing and matching. Um, you saw us do this last year where we just kept waiver riding wire the waiver turn. wire. Yep. Uh, I had Randy Rosarena, Ian Happ, um, who ended up on your team. Um, Trent Grisham was on my team for a little bit. We shared a lot of players last year in that in that third flex position. We did. Yeah. And then the as far as five outfielder leagues go, which is typically your categories and your roto leagues, I like um, doing what you said, grabbing one of those top-tier guys who's going to contribute in mostly five categories. Um, and then what I would like to do is I try to grab more of the two outfielders that are just outside that top 25, maybe that 25 to 40 range. Um, get guys um, that can contribute in certain categories like Trent Grisham, who... Uh, we have as a bust just based on where he's going, but he's going to provide batting or uh, power and speed. Um, so kind of things like that specialty, like Starling Marte is going to give you average and a little yep. bit of speed. Um, so things like that, trying to hit specific categories. Um, and that's why they're lower because they aren't that true five category, but they're going to give you like a Michael Brantley, for instance, at who's the 30th outfielder on Scott White's. Um, rankings, he's going to give you batting average. Or Joey Gallo, he's going to hurt your average, but he's going to give you power. Um, And then you can kind of mix and match and fill in the gaps as you go and have that flexibility to find those players who pop or come out of nowhere. Um, So that's kind of my overall approach. I fully agree. And in in a points league, you know, our dynasty league, I'm rocking Cody Bellinger because of it being a dynasty setting. But I used to have Harper, I used to have Trout, and what I realized is the value I'm taking from those guys, I'm not being able to replicate with my starting pitchers, as you had said. It is a much more driven position, even though Chris Towers doesn't believe that. Um, pitching is dominant in points, and I would rather have Garrett Cole than have Mike Trout. I would rather have Garrett Cole than have Bryce Harper. So... That's just kind of my opinion on the outfield. There's just a lot of replaceable talent. You know, look at Yastrzemski's numbers last year. 
I mean, geez, he was almost a top 10 outfielder, and that's that's findable. You can get that on the waiver wire. All right, that concludes outfield. I think what we're going to do, Matt, is we'll hold starting pitching and relief pitching for our next podcast and kind of touch on our strategies and maybe go a little more in depth on these guys and kind of players we'd rather target. Um, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a long 20 30 minute conversation, you know, where we have some strong feelings about guys outside of the top 30 and I I really want to talk about those guys. So, we'll have that for your next episode. All right. Well, let's move on to our next topic about that that one player in your league. So, I'll let you uh go ahead and talk about it, Matt. Bum 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 bum. Yeah, so uh his name in our league is Reed Martin. Um I don't know if I need to, you know, sign a disclosure so that he doesn't sue me for this. But Richie and I had this conversation. We actually had a text thread go out this morning. <clears throat> Those of you in our league are well aware because your phones were buzzing. But for the other listeners, uh, a certain player named Reed in our league is very active on the trade market always. He's very good at bothering other individuals. And his strategy to finishing a trade is to just badger you until you give in. And worst of all, he offers terrible offers to start. That's his trade negotiation. If he wants a player from you, he's going to offer you a player originally that he has no intention of you even wanting to start negotiations. And it's just disrespectful, and our league has come to know that. Even though there are still players and team managers that are willing to trade with him, I think he's slowly losing the ability to do that. And Richie and I wanted to talk today about maybe, you know, some some differences or similarities in guys and other leagues that we've had because there's always one. So, Richie, outside of Reed, we'll talk a little bit more about him later, what's another circumstance of maybe a player that's bothersome in a league? Um, yeah, I, I think about um, somebody who used to be in our league um, who just, if he wasn't involved in a trade, he just got so riled up. And he would just spam the whole group text and talk about how the trade was bullshit and how he wanted his money back and just say things that were over the top and uncalled for. Um, and I, th- I feel like everybody has dealt with these types of people or you just don't know what the outcome is going to be or how to handle it or what the best course of action is. And a lot of the times it's kind of just gauging how the league feels and views um, the actions of that player and if there's proper re- repercussions that need to, to happen if that person needs to be put in its place or um, in this scenario I, I texted Reed and told him I was like hey you need to stop otherwise we're, <laughs> we're going to take away your trading privileges but I think he thought um, these players were uh, just joking with him um, but it's not the first um, complaint that we've received. Well, and you know, a credit to Reed. He's really bought into the league. He loves he loves playing fantasy baseball. He loves playing fantasy sports, and he's a very competitive person. But as we kind of talked about in our one episode where we discussed like your trade approach and strategy, a lot of it is having a relationship with team managers and you know spamming them with multiple offers day after day or texts asking you know Are you ready to commit? What can we do? We have a league manager paired tandem in this league, uh, Parker and Max, that I think Reed probably texts daily to get Fernando Tatis off of them. And, you know, even though they've said no every time, it's not a no to Reed. And those types of players can really cause um, an issue in your league because they, they bother other people. And if other people aren't as bought in as them, they may be encouraged to leave. What are some of the things that you see from that behavior, Richie, and how do you feel about the lack of respect on initial offers that you might get from a manager like that? Well, my, my initial concern is I'm all for trading and the league being active and people texting each other and even talking on a daily um, aspect. I, I like that and I, I think it builds the league. My only concern is um, him driving people away or be like, you know what, I can't be in this league because I can't deal with texts from this dude, 5, 10, 15 texts a day from him when I'm busy at work. That's that's my biggest concern is uh, league turnover. You know, on average, we probably have one or two um, teams leave, whether it be they get booted out or they're just inactive or they just don't want to play anymore, what have you. And 
our ultimate goal is to have a core group of 12 guys who play consistently. We don't have to go out looking um, for other players, and I want to keep it that way. So that's my biggest concern. Um, and so right now it's just me warning Reed and telling him, hey, back off or like calm down. But I think it's just heating up right now because the preseason trade deadline is in a week from now, and um, he is over the salary cap, so players he can't keep, he's trying to move, which I fully understand, but there's got to be a, a line in the sand when you can't just be texting people nonstop. And I'm not in those conversations, so I don't know how often they happen or if people are just trolling Reed and saying that he's doing this. I mean, it could be. It, there's two sides of the story. Well, and this brings up a, an option that we had talked about this offseason in regards to trades and kind of structuring the allowance of trades in leagues. If this had become a problem that was costing the integrity of the league, Richie and I had discussed within the app, whether you're CBS or your ESPN or your Yahoo, they all offer a messaging system through the app and a board. And we had talked about each trade being posted to that board while allowing other teams to match slash counter an offer. And it's something that I don't think will ever be implemented in terms of a requirement. But I know in my trades moving forward, I think I will be placing them on that messaging board with a open concept of if you want to also be in this trade with me or the other party, like let's have a discussion. Because you often see a trade go through in most leagues and you're like, oh my God, I would have offered more. Or oh my God, like, you know, I, I can't believe they got him for such a steal. And from my perspective, this board concept kind of negates that. It kind of takes it out of, the, out of the equation. But again, you're going to have to have the community decide to do that as well or to take to that. If you're posting and no one gives a shit, well, it's completely a waste of your time. But there are definitely strategies that can be utilized for mitigating managers like Reed, I guess. Yeah, and that's something we can discuss uh, on a later date. I, I think as far as uh, for our league... Um, the preseason trading and keepers being set, which are due next week, and then our draft in two weeks. Um, I think that's something that I won't implement since there is only five days left of preseason trading, but that's something we can touch base on um, for our season and kind of maybe do an experiment or see how it goes, and it could yep. be optional between the two teams. I think uh, we covered everything today, and for our next episode, we will definitely cover our starting pitcher and relief pitcher strategy and kind of approach um, and what we kind of expect for the players that we want on our teams, and uh, we'll go from there. Thanks uh, for listening, everybody, and have a good day. We'll see you next time, you guys. Thank you.